This is O Ship, the show where experts and leaders look back at their biggest moments of failure just so you can avoid making them. And there is no one better to squeeze the naked truth out of our charismatic guests than your host, Chameleon Collective Founding Partner, Freddie Laker. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another week of O Ship. This week, we've got a really inspiring leader on that I had a chance to meet in my adventures at Chameleon Collective when we were working with Lord and Taylor. Ruth Hartman uh, is the former president of Lord & Taylor, but she's also held roles like the chief merchant officer at La Tote. She's held SVP level roles at Macy's and DSW. Uh, she's on the board of directors for Centric Brands, and she's even a mentor at 500 Startups. But the thing that's really struck me about my time with Ruth is that she's a very thoughtful and deliberate leader, both in the way that she applies her, that thoughtfulness and, and, and deliberate thinking to her team, but also how she applies it to herself. And so today we're going to learn more about her journey, and I'm hoping it's going to inspire you to be a better leader on this week's episode that I'm titling, Finding Moments to Make a Difference. And with that, here we go with another week of O-Ship. Ruth, welcome to Ship. How are you? Hi, Freddie. Good morning. Great to see you. Yeah, great to see you too. I'm going to start today with a slightly, uh, I don't think I've ever told you this, but I'm going to tell you when you say great to see you, I'm going to tell you about the first time I saw you. And I remember coming, you know, going to Lord & Taylor and wanted, wanted to win your business. And, you know, you were the, the, the big, you know, one of the big bosses there and you came in and I thought, Damn, that is one stylish individual. I, I can't remember what you were. You, you, I had like an Anna Winter vibe to me that day. You were looking rather, rather, rather cool. Uh, so I thought. Well, what a great way to start my day! Wow. Yeah, good. No, exactly. <laughs> I, I was like, all right. I was like, I'm, I'm like, I'm gonna have to dress better next time I come here because these people are very fashion centric. And I up my up my game. So I thought, you know, on a fun note, before we jump into, uh, you know, the some of the business things we're going to talk about, you know, you've been a merchant for helping different brands pick fashion for you know m many years now. If there is any fashion trend you could bring back, what would it be? Oh my goodness! Wow! <laughs> wow! 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 Putting you on the spot. <laughs> yeah. Any fashion trend that I would bring back, I think I would bring back high-waisted flare pants, which... I can't pull that off, but maybe you can. <laughs> I, I can, but I also think that it, there's just so much you can do with it. And um, from a less of a, a fashion perspective, but more from a business perspective, whenever you do a major like transition and change in that, it necessitates a new top and new shoes and new jewelry. And it just like the whole business explodes. I love that. You're like, you're like just to be clear. I like this idea because it's great at making money. See that? <laughs> That's the, yeah. the, the mer yeah, exactly. mer merchant in you exactly. coming to life. I love, I love it's it. A good, market, good marketing, good like jumping off point. Yeah, yeah. And, and, the, uh, and, I, and I have to ask one more fashion related question. You know, in only years you've been doing this, what's the, what's the one fashion thing you've seen come up that you're like, God, I wish that didn't happen. Worst style trend you've ever seen. Worst style trend I've ever seen. Like super crop tops. Even though it looks great on, well, it would look great with like high-waisted, big bell-bottom pants, it's hard to wear and it's hard to pull off and it's hard to figure out how to tell the customer, you know, how to wear it. Yeah. 
Also, look, I don't plan on pulling off anytime soon. Okay, well, moving past uh, moving <laughs> yeah, you past. Can, you, can miss, you can miss those two trends. <laughs> you can miss those two. Thank you. Uh, uh, moving past the kind of evolution of style for a minute here. Um, I'd love to talk about your evolution as, as a professional. You know, you've had some incredible roles that I, I noted earlier, and bluntly, you've navigated through some pretty ch- challenged industries. So, you know, again, we you know we were at Lord and Taylor together when you know the COVID kind of knee kneecapped that entire industry. So I've kind of experienced some of those oh shit moments with you, you know, firsthand. Sure. But but I'd love to just uh, set you know have you introduce yourself to our audience and talk a little bit about your you know your professional professional journey. Sure. Well, I won't go back to the the bio that you so eloquently stated earlier. I, I think you're hype man. Things- you can call me anytime. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that I would say in terms of my career tra- trajectory was really certainly being a great executor, um, terrific business person, gaining the results, having great partnerships both internally and externally, and then working my way up the ladder based on being a great team. You know team cross-functional partner, being a great mentor and leader to, to the people who reported to me and really continued to drive that. And uh, as my area of responsibility increased, I give a lot of credit to Macy's when I was there in terms of having the type of culture in the division that I worked in, where it was it was quite entrepreneurial, allowing people to learn from any mistakes they made correct them, really move forward and really come up with with new ideas that could really drive the business and not just kind of anniversary what we did last year. So I really think that that I, I give a lot of credit to that team and the people I worked with in terms of helping me become the great leader that I am. Certainly as my area of responsibility increased and what I always say, t- say to people as I, as I think about bringing them through and like pulling them up the ladder is you can't just be a super... X. You, you know, I was a great buyer. I got promoted. I didn't want to be a super buyer and like buy for just a bigger responsibility. So you really need to learn how to start to pull back, lead versus manage. Still, and I love the the quote of inspect what you expect because I think it's really super important. But how do you really give people that free reign and understand how far they can go on their own before you either need to pull them back or help them or give them, you know, advice to really help them move forward in their career and, and, and obviously to, to gain the business result. You know, I actually haven't heard that expression, inspect what you expect. Is that, as I just repeat it correctly? Can you inspect can, what you can expect. You, can, so break, can you break that down for me? Sure. So it's actually, and I was thinking about this earlier this morning, it's actually something that I learned a little bit the hard way as I became, uh, you know, further and further up the ladder. So if I expect that somebody is, I don't know, whatever the initiative is, you know, going to go after crop tops as a, you know, as a big trend category, right? Huge increase, lots of investment behind it, lots of marketing, et cetera. And I, I expect that that's what they're doing. And the plan is to grow it, I don't know, 250%. And I'm not inspecting, not like, holding like holding the reins and really you know tight control but inspecting what my expectation is and it doesn't work that to me is a fault on me right yeah fair enough not not the 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 fact that they didn't they didn't do it but that I didn't inspect enough what my expectation was and one of the things that I learned as I went through is 
I do feel like I, I try to lead and I try to set the stage and, and throw the ball, if you will, into, into the court of the people who are actually going to execute. But one thing that I really learned is I can't just expect that they're going to take that, that, that lead and run with it. It's always those little touch points that you can just keep checking through the, through the way. And that's one of the things that I feel like I've really been helpful for people who are working on their own leadership. How do you not micromanage, but how do you not also just let, let them go? And it's always those little things like below the surface that you think, hmm, not really sure they got that. Let's yeah. go back and ask that question without saying, hey, are you following this direction? So it's really like, ex- you know, inspecting in whatever re- way that might be and in what to whatever degree or level I feel is representative of the situation. But when you when you think about um, your own kind of leadership style within the spectrum that you know, where, where do you kind of fit on fit in on that? Would you say you tend to stand back and and to set these kind of guidelines for people and then have them do their own thing, or, or where do you kind of or are you kind of knee deep in there with the, your your staff uh, as a leader? Well, I hope I'm knee deep in that. I'm I'm there as a as a partner. I hope I'm not knee deep in terms of controlling and like you know, yeah. keeping everything yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And if anybody's watching this or will watch this who's worked for me, it's probably changed, con- you know, hopefully, and I, I think it did from the time that I was at Macy's to the time mm-hmm. that I was president of Lord & Taylor because, again, as, as both from an experiential level and as scope has risen, it's really important to rise, I think, from a leadership perspective on that trajectory. What do you think caused that evolution in you uh, between those two roles that you kind of that caused you to shift it? Is it just a self-recognition that was a need or or something else? Um, I think it was both a need and a desire, honestly. I think the need was how much time is there in a day? Am I getting paid to actually run this business when I have 20 people reporting to me who are supposed to be doing that? Or am I getting paid to do something much bigger and much more uh, holistic I think it was a desire on my part to hone my leadership skills and really be that leader and be that driver of the culture, the strategy, the mission, the vision, and allow people who worked for me and with me to rise to that level as well. I've given good advice, honestly, to people who I've, I've said where I've, I felt like they have micromanaged too much, saying do you really want to pay, be paying all of these people to do this when you're actually doing their job for them? And it's not just about the salary and the, you know, the, the expense. It's, it's the, how do we make sure that we're both getting the most out of people, but that they're getting the most out of their position and their career development as well. I want to jump back a little bit. Uh, I want to help our audience and I, and I am interested in, in what helped kind of shape a lot of these great insights and learnings you have as a leader. And like I said, I've, I witnessed you as a leader firsthand. It's, it's one of the reasons I like you and wanted to be your friend, let alone have you as a, as a guest on our ship. But let's kind of go back to the journey a little bit. So I'm going to start with the, the positives. And I think I would argue maybe all experiences are positive, but we can debate that later. When you think about your career, though, what what was your what was your favorite kind of some of the favorite moments or favorite moment from your career? And you can still kind of yeah, for whatever reason. I will go back to Macy's when I was um, so when I was I won't go through my my whole tenure there, but I was tapped to launch the Inc. International Concepts brand, which has become 
and I take very little credit for the success that it's become, but I take credit for actually launching it and having been successful enough that they kept going with it. I worked with someone who had been my boss at Henry Bundle in New York. Um, she was working in New York at the time, and we, with a very lean, mean team, launched this brand that, again, has been become one of the most successful brands in history for the, for the company across all levels. And one of the things that I liked about that, much more so than just the success that it's been, is the amount of entrepreneurial kind of startup initiatives and things that I was tasked by and uh, responsible for, whether it be marketing, fixturing, branding, product development. It was really an amazing experience. And I was so blessed to have had that being what I would consider a startup within a big public corporation. And um, from there, and I think partially because of the success, that's what really I think put, pulled me to the next level and started pulling me up the career ladder. I think that's one. Another one would be making the decision to, to leave Macy's and go to DSW. And part of that was really feeling like, okay, I can stay at Macy's forevermore if we both uh, decided, but really, am I successful at Macy's because, or am I successful because I know Macy's? Am I successful because I'm homegrown? Or can I take my success and walk into the door of a, of a different company, different culture, different business model at a much, diff- a much higher level and create that magic again? And the five years that I was there was just amazing in terms of business growth, uh, success, again, taking my leadership to the next level and, and working cross-functionally with the executive team, with the board, et cetera, and then certainly with the vendor community. And then the last two, deciding to completely pivot and I always say take took an intentional sharp left turn to leave public company retail and go to a scrappy startup in the digital direct-to-consumer rental subscription tech business. It's always a mouthful. And really, you know, use the agility and the the, the acumen that I had really learned at two big public success, successful public companies and completely twist it into something different. So that was amazing. And then to do the crazy thing of the 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 tech the small tech company buying a big more traditional retail company for all the reasons that we did, um, and then being asked by the board and the founders to be the president of that company, which is when I met you. To your point, was such an honor and such a a stretch for me in terms of leadership and and scope and you know being given giving the opportunity to lead that organization. I'm going to add just a, a little bit more color to that for 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 anyone in, in the audience who may not be familiar with this this story. So, Latunt, um, when you talk about you know rental subscription service, a lot of people you know we we take for granted. Ruth, in my opinion, because I think it's the industry that you and I operate in quite frequently, uh, certainly you all the time and me uh, part of the time, this concept of uh, renting your wardrobe, effectively paying, you know, the Netflix of wardrobe kind of conflict, concept, you know, paying a subscription fee and then saying, hey, look, I I want uh, you in this in the world of fast fashion so that you're Colleagues don't see uh, this again when we're all going to the office all the time. So your colleagues don't see you wearing the same stuff all the time. That you say, look, I'm going to change things up monthly or seasonally, and you pay a flat fee, and you pick different things, and it's all that's all properly sized to you, and 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 you you know really gives you variety in your wardrobe. And if you're one of those people that you know wants to feel like they're wearing new and fresh things and keeping their style evolving all the time, then this is a really 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 cool concept. And uh, I can identify with this kind of concept of uh, Latote uh, buying Lord and Taylor. You know, that was not to be rude, but I think when when that happened, I think a lot of people did, who didn't know Latote were like, "What? 
who just who just bought Miller and Taylor? You know, the, yeah. the, this, yeah, the San Francisco tech startup bought this year, hundred plus year old, very iconic retail brand. You know, I can think of a similar type thing uh, when when I was at Sapient. And uh, the Sapient bought uh, Nitro. And at the time, you know, the big trend was b- big agents, traditional agencies buying digital agencies, not digital agencies gobbling up traditional agencies. And, and so there's this kind of you know, inversion there. And I, and, I, and I appreciate and recognize that kind of um, you know, flipping it on its head and, and what that means. So I think that was a really bold move um, and, I can, and a, a pretty big, big change for you. So that, that actually, I think, is a great segue. I touched on earlier this, this concept of what are your favorite moments. I'm not going to say that experiencing COVID at Lord Taylor was guaranteed to be one of the worst moments, but I, it certainly would have been, was a pretty, pretty big uh, unexpected blow that, in my opinion, no, no one could have uh, survived for the record. But I'd love to know what, what were some of the worst moments of your career? Because I'm, I'm guessing those were probably as defining as the best moments on shaping who you are today. Yeah, I think learning through adversity and um, whether it be COVID or really tough business conditions, you know, really tough. So I, so when I was at Macy's as a buyer, we went into Chapter 11. A lot of people probably don't even know that Macy's went into Chapter 11. And I remember being in the market the day before the announcement and the CEO of a, a very big company said to me, Ruth, is this going to happen? And I said, of course not. Of course not. Boom, next day. And you know, it, I assume it was, you had no idea because you didn't believe you didn't believe. I, it either. <laughs> I, I mean, I was not. I actually didn't know that happened. So that was actually uh, news to me. Yeah, you know, that was obviously they survived it and have have gone on and done amazing things. But and it wasn't that I should have been privy to the information. It was just like it was really oh shit wow I went back on my word and we survived it and and moved forward. So that was somewhat at the beginning. And just to bring up the the more uh, the more immediate as as you can imagine when I got the call to say, hey, we're going to need to go into restructuring and there's no cash flow scenario that's going to bring us out of this with 80% of our revenue gone in one in one day with no, no end in sight in terms of having closed the stores. And for me to have had to candidly fire 200 people, 200 plus people on a Zoom call effective that day, that's never. Harsh. I hope I never have to do that again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say that the only thing that made me feel like I was saving face that I had to fire myself as well. So that was that was really tough. And I was given the opportunity not to be the the face of that announcement. And I said, absolutely not. There's no one else who should do it but me. Mm-hmm. And um, candidly, the, the amount of goodwill and messaging I got after that from the Lord and Taylor folks and the Latote folks was just so amazing, just so fulfilling. Yeah, it's... Uh... I feel like you know sometimes with certain leaders uh, you you, know, you see out there that they um, they're willing to you know be there be the head when all the good things are happening, but they're not willing to do be there when it when the the bad things happen and and um, you know I've had situations where I've had to let go of you know sometimes five people sometimes you know hundred plus people I, I think you you know you, you have to go out there and do it yourself I, I think it's it's uh, it's just a strong uh, it's about I think shows strength of character and. Anyone who thinks that that's easy or, or you know, easy for the people doing the firing, and I want to be super clear, definitely worse for people losing their jobs. But it's it, no one, no no one with a soul or any 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 form of a heart, I think, enjoys doing that, and it's 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 really painful. And I I, I get so nervous when I have to do that kind of stuff. My my hands shake, and I've been I've fired, I've had to fire hundreds of people over my career over the last few number of decades, and it's not not fun. 
you know, taking some of the highs that we just talked through and now, um, you know, some of the lows, I guess, how do you deal with that kind of stuff? I mean, you know, whether it's, uh, I guess, the combined experiences you've had over the last number of years, you know, what's your approach to to dealing with this, whether it's you know, personal things or, or even professional things? I think a lot of it comes back to the amount of effort and authentic and trustworthy leadership of who you are as a, as a person, as a, as a woman, as an executive, as a leader, as a mentor, as a partner, as a team member. I think for, for me, it really is leading with an authenticity and transparency that people feel like they can share their opinion, ask questions, have a dissenting voice, and feel like they, they will be heard both from a, a diversity of thought, a diversity of opinion, personality, and you know, there's there's for good very good reason a lot of a lot of discussion around diversity and, and inclusion right now and, and hopefully forevermore. But I think a lot of that is I've always thought, okay, if you only have people who are like you on your team or your coworkers or you know anyone you're dealing with, great, maybe everybody's gonna get along well, but are you gonna get the best result? No, because everybody's like rowing the same boat and going forward. I mean, you want people to go forward in the same path, but if you don't have these little obstacles or these challenges or dissenting opinion or differences of opinion along the way, are you really getting the best result? Probably not, right? So I think for me, one of the, the things that I like to think about in terms of my superpowers powers is being a great leader that brings forward trust, collaboration, really the fact that the team wins versus the individuals. And again, going back to like my, my wide leg, high-waisted pant, it's not because I just personally love that, but it brings everything together to like mm. take up all of these businesses. So certainly results-oriented, but really at the, at the same time, really understand what makes people tick. I think, I, I think we should make high-waisted pants the North Star of this episode. Like everything should be a callback to high-waisted pants somehow. We'll, I'll, I'll see if I can give one more connection to it later. With, with the crop top. It would be yeah, great on your right? Maybe you should wear that as you do your, your captaining of yeah, your ocean. Perfect, perfect. That's hilarious. I think honestly, it's also like making people and it's it's going that that extra step and taking, sometimes it's just a moment. Sometimes it's more than a moment, but taking that extra moment to connect with people in an authentic way, whether it be asking something personal about them or learning something about them or, or asking them a question or giving them advice. Um, someone said to me fairly recently, you know, you, you, Ruth, you were able to give me feedback that I could actually hear. And I said, well, why do you think that is? He said, because you would listen to what I was saying. And if you felt like there was an opportunity to improve or change something or give me some advice, I wanted to learn from you, but you said it in a way that I could actually hear you. And that to me was one of the, the biggest compliments I've ever gotten. I love that, by the way. And I, and I think that, you know, how can you show empathy, true empathy, you know, and until you really listen to someone and there's nothing more effective than an empathetic leader, in my opinion. I'm, I'm intrigued. Go, going back to uh, some of the challenges uh, you de- you've been dealt with, how do you deal with the difference of, a, let's call it affairs of the heart, so emotional stress versus like, let's call business stress? You know, do, you, do, do, do you deal with them equally or does one affect you more than uh, another? I would say I'm pretty equal. Like I, I think people talk about their, their quotient of EQIQ. Yeah. 
you know, business results, team wins, teams, teams win, strategic thinking. Like I think of that as the, as the three-legged stool or the triangle that from, for me, I don't think I would have gotten to the level that I, I have been with one of those being too out of whack. So um, from a stress standpoint, I think certainly the, the EQ side is, well, I honestly, I think it's a balance. You know, if business is going great and everybody's like moving forward and happy and the culture is terrific and the results are, are there, fantastic. If they're not, there's a tremendous amount of stress, especially, you know, as you as you rise up the ladder and your, your scope of responsibility can really make or break the company. You know, I was asked at Macy's to run a billion dollar plus business before I was 40. And that was to me like a just it was a lot of weight, but I don't think I would have been asked that had I not been been able to show great results, terrific people skills, etc. So I don't know if that's answering your question, but I think it's really a combination. It's in a similar space. I was going to say that, um, you know, for me, and, and not to project myself onto you, I find that rational things like dealing with the business and, and reaching performance goals and so on, have very little impact on me in terms of like how, you know, no matter how, how heavy the weight feels, like my, my, I can kind of handle the burden. But I find with irrational things, you know, whether it's personal relationships or, uh, uh, you know, things is, is more on the emotional side of the spectrum, you know, whether that's at home or in, in the office, that kind of sure. stuff, because it, maybe it's because I can't find it. There's no simple solution to inter- irrational things. And I find that those things tend to, tend to stress me out the most, frankly. Well, sure. I would totally agree with that. You know, yeah. whether it's affairs of the heart or yeah. if something's going wrong personally with, you know, something at work, their family, and certainly personally with, with my family or friends, it's, yes, it's, those are the harder things to try to figure out, right? Yeah, maybe that's what it is. It's because they're irrational. There's no easy solutions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, emotions are not black and white. Business hopefully is black and white. And sometimes there's not an easy solution, but certainly- My my, my inner robot can handle the other stuff. It's like, well, we're just going to turn everything up to 11 and we'll we'll just deal with that. But um, when there's no no simple path, I think I I, I struggle with that that personally. I'd love to to dig in. One of the things that I noted earlier uh, was that you were a mentor for uh, 500 startups, which I think is very Mm -hmm. cool on a side note. I've also witnessed you mentor a lot of people uh, firsthand, especially going through all the coaching that you know we had to go through um, together with Lord Taylor. Is there any tips, uh, any more tips you've got for being a, a great a great mentor that you can mention? How much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> at least a couple minutes. You're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of it is beyond the inspect what you expect. Is really listening, really listening. And really thinking about what people are asking, but why people are asking it. I went through, I was given the opportunity when I was at Macy's to go through this great leadership institute in Cincinnati at the corporate headquarters. And, you know, there's always things. And what I always say to people, like a presentation or a meeting or a course or whatever it might be, if it's an hour long or a day long or a week long, as long as you get one or two really tangible things that you can take away with you, to me, that's worth every single minute. Mm-hmm. So one of the things at this leadership institute that some external coach came in and they were talking about above the waterline and below the waterline. So a lot of it was business and a lot of it was time management around as you continue to go up the ladder. There's only so much time in the day, but how do you make sure that you're keeping enough time, whether it be mental time or time on your calendar to think about those things that are below the waterline, right? The things that are going to make the difference longer term, long range planning, things like that. So uh, from a mentorship perspective, 
I always think, what are people saying and what are they thinking? What's below maybe what the surface of what they're, mm-hmm. what they're saying or their problems as a mentor that they're coming and saying, how do you help me solve this? Or how do I learn from you? And really trying to pull that through. So it's, it's very much making them think a little bit more holistically and bigger picture and as, as well as helping them, you know, getting through the tangibles of this is my business problem or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. I think it's also really thinking a lot about, I think I had talked to you the other day about this Wall Street Journal article that just came out. I have it right here, actually, escaping the efficiency trap and finding some peace of mind. Like, yeah, people are productive. People are productive no matter what, but how do you kind of give yourself permission to not be so uber productive all the time that you take on, you're fantastic at what you do and you, you're given more responsibility and you take on more and you've got this busyness around you that just doesn't allow you to think clearly. So really as a mentor, try to pull that, pull that apart and help people really understand what's urgent versus what's important because especially as a, like 500 startups and I'm an, I'm an advisor to several founders, CEOs of, of um, startups right now that, again, there's only so much time in the day. How much can you really do? And, and I saw this firsthand at Latos sitting on the executive team of, yeah, we've got this roadmap. We've got 24 hours in a day, seven days in a week, and there's a lot more on there. So how do you really prioritize knowing that everything is an opportunity? That's what I help do, I think, as a mentor. Out of interest, are you able to do you practice what you preach? Are you able to apply this to your own life? Do you feel like? Oh, a hundred percent. No problem. Easy. Yeah, Kidding. Were, were, were you do you feel like you were always this way, or did was there something in your evolution that kind of helped you to get to this place personally? I think having been a working mom from the entire time my my you know, my kids were young all the way through. I always say to people, and, and one of the things that gives me has given me great pleasure and inspiration is helping other working moms. And to your point of, do I always do this? You know, it's hundred percent, which is so not true, full candor. But people would say to me, especially younger women who were thinking about having a family, wanted to have a really meaningful career, and well, Ruth, how do you do it? I don't think I can do this because you know you make it look so easy. Well, it's not easy. I always say to people friends now who have, you know, my kids are are grown, but say to people, I think having been a mom made me a bigger, better executive and being an executive made me a better mom. I like that. Uh, Okay. Now, but now, uh, now I'm intrigued. So now I got to probe. Best thing that you learned from being a mom that you applied to work life. And then I want to know the best thing you learned from work life that you applied to being a mom. Oh, okay. Okay. I got to know. You intrigued me. <laughs> um, I think patience. Well, both yeah. sides. Both on both sides. Yeah. I, I yeah. think uh, patience, listening. Hold on, hold on. I have to ask on that one before we dig in deeper. Uh, who is a bigger baby most of the time? The rest of the executive team or six-year-old children? Oh, no comment on that. No comment. <laughs> All right. Okay. Please continue. So I, I think listening, patience understanding what's below that waterline, helping people learn from mistakes, get up when they fall down and spin their knee. You know, again, that could be certainly as a mom, but also I've had many, many executives and people who work for me and cross-functional partners come in and cry in my office and say, this didn't work. What's going on? How help me? What can I do? And, you know, just to be that really good sounding board and, and hopefully good business partner. 
think one of the things that candidly helped me through my through, through my career and as I moved from company to company and, and got promoted was the concept that I could be trusted to be a good cross-functional partner. And, you know, you work in a big company and even in a small company, there's people talk about silos and, oh my goodness, don't trust that. Don't trust HR. They don't have your back. Don't trust marketing. They're going to do it. It's like, what do you mean? Like, aren't we all in this together? And of course, I don't want anybody to think that I'm like Pollyanna. Of, of course, there's better people and there's worse people and there's people you can trust and people you can't trust. But how do you deal with all of those? Good advice. Uh, is being, uh, being a mom harder or being an exec harder? Being a mom. Yeah, it's complex. Maybe it's because it involves more of those unpredictable things we talked about earlier. It's um, more of that, yeah. that emotional side. Yeah, yeah. As, uh, how, how old are your kids now out of interest? 20 and 25. That's awesome. So they're yeah. they're embarking on their own uh, own professional journeys now. They are. Yeah, my my older son is. He has. He's been working for a great company for the last two years, and I'm I'm really happy that I can help guide him. Or or more. You and I had a great conversation the other day of how do you hold yourself, Ruth, to the same standard that you you have to other people versus giving yourself this standard that is literally like off the camera, right? Like too high and too tough and one of the things that I think that I've been able to say to him recently is, you know, I'm trying to help you learn from my life experiences and the things that I didn't maybe do so well. Not that you, not that you shouldn't make the same mistakes, but just so that I can help maybe give you some clarity or give you a perspective. And that's a lot on the personal side too, things that I think I didn't do so well there and how to help him see that through my eyes. Again, not that I'm trying to like uh, control his life at all, but how can I help him to that next level. And then my little guy, the baby who's going into his sophomore year in college, he's just, he's in a great spot and, and learning to be independent. And, you know, it's a very different thing, the first child versus the second child. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. It's, so I, I'm going to, you know, I was going to ask you, you know, kind of any final advice for, um, you know, as we kind of near the end of the show, uh, any final advice for kind of young people starting the career, but I'm, I'm going to flip this on its head for a second. I think that the retail world is going through, as you know well, some very intense transformation right now. Um, a lot of people are having to rethink their career advice, whether you are 25 or 55, people are probably rethinking how they approach uh, you know, this whole industry right now. And so sometimes I'd say to people, you know, how would you, what advice would you give to them to enter into, you know, your your industry career path or your whether maybe not so specific to merchant but let's go retail but actually i would say to you you know how are you thinking about people that are reinventing themselves in this in this kind of new new world that we're in right now you know what what would you tell people to kind of think about for for career guidance at this point and i, I have a sneaky suspicion you're trying to figure this out right now alongside everyone else as well but i'd love to get your your latest uh, take on it Oh yeah, that's that's great. Yes, I am. I'm thinking about my next career move, and I'm pretty busy with board work and consulting. But sure. think about thinking about what's what is the type of company I'm looking for if I take on another operating role. And I think a lot of it has to do with authenticity and and mission and differentiation. And to me, it's less about big or small company, cat the category of company really more um, that combination of what is that stickiness from a brand perspective and and voice and differentiation that is going to stand out. 
in addition to the, you know, and I've, I've said to a lot of search firms, of course, that's what I'm looking for from a culture and where I think I can really help from a leadership perspective and driving results. But, and this is what I'm saying to myself, but also to, to the audience of, and what I would say to anyone looking for a job starting out or, or, or making a change. And part of it is really the, the super importance around technology and infrastructure and supply chain and, and all the operational pieces, which are changing every second of the day. They're expensive and they are complex. But I think if you, if you, I've seen it where you have a great vision and a great mission and you don't have that and it doesn't work. I've seen this where you have an amazing operation and, and infrastructure, but you don't have the vision. So I think it's really the combination. And I guess one thing I would leave you with is I was asked, a friend of mine is a professor at NYU and in, in this amazing program called the Gallatin School. And I was asked to sit on a panel probably about five years ago at this point and all the students. So I was at Latote at that time and, you know, tech, startup, et cetera. And all of the students came to me afterwards, a magnet and said, I want to start working for a startup when I, when I graduate, like, why would you have ever worked for a big company? And I was like, I don't think it's startup or big company. What's the culture? What's the business model? What's the plan that gives you the, the, the ability to succeed. And in a culture where people really care about your growth and your, and your learning, it's not about one or the other. I love that. And I think such an interesting place to kind of wrap up this week's episode, because as a, a kind of a, I consider myself kind of an entrepreneur's entrepreneur, and I've done my fair share of startups, and I, I love being thrown into those kind of environments. But it is a big decision that people need to make when they when they think about their careers. And I do think it's so interesting that uh, some of the younger generations um, are uh, very focused on on this kind of idea of you know jumping into startups, where they think it's about getting rich and getting stock, or they think it's about maybe rapid career advancement. Isn't always clear, but you know, those kind of things, I think, as you get further and further in your career, become um, less about the driving factors, and it's more about being in places where you're respected and you respect others, where you have an opportunity to make meaningful impacts that that make you feel good and make you feel like you're making a difference. Uh, which is really, you know, the big spirit of today's episode. So, uh, Ruth, I just want to thank you again for, uh, you know, coming to join us today. It was always great to see you. Uh, I want to thank everyone that's tuned in and and watched. Uh, Thank you for participating in the audience. Thank you for watching or listening, whether you are watching us on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, Periscope, uh, you know, any of the different platforms we're on, or if you're listening on any one of the numerous uh, podcast platforms that we're now available on. And so, you know, if you enjoy the show and you want us to keep producing this kind of content, you know, the best thing you can do to support us is give us a like, comment, share, follow us, subscribe. This is something we do because we're passionate about it. We want to keep bringing this great content to you every single week. And that's the best way you can uh, show your appreciation and your support for OSHIP. Thank you again, Ruth. You're the best. And with that, we thank you for tuning in on another great week of OSHIP. The OSHIP show is brought to you by Chameleon Collective, where we lead, scale, and adapt to build and grow great companies. You can learn more at chameleoncollective.com. Freddie will see you next time when we will once again be raising the sails for the O Ship Show.